Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Our episode today is brought to you by Cathode Ray Media. Cathode Ray is a full-service marketing agency that connects government organizations to their communities. Visit cathoderay.com, that's K-A-T-H-O-D-E-R-A-Y.com to learn more or ask for a free no-obligation consultation. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today, we're here with Jeff Sigler. Jeff is a writer, a speaker, and a consultant with Revitalize or Die. That is a civic pride consulting firm. Jeff, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here, Dean. So what is a civic pride consulting firm? It's, uh, it's a made-up thing. Uh, I don't know. I was having a, a sort of tough time figuring out exactly what it is that I do, but um, that sort of struck me as being pretty central to the work. So, you know, I, I worked, I've spent my career in, in kind of urban planning, city planning, urban revitalization, community development, economic development type stuff. But, uh, you know, my consulting work is really kind of centered around this idea of building civic pride. And, and you know, I learned along the way that that's often what's missing, that that's sort of the the key ingredient to strong communities is, is having a place that people can feel proud of um, was, was sort of, you know, absolutely critical to the health of these communities. So I guess I landed on that as a, a bit of what I do to help describe what, what I'm, I'm trying to convey and what I'm uh, hoping to bring to these communities I work with. Well, I think that uh, that probably describes exactly what it is you do. And it's always best when you're a consultant to really know your niche and um, defining your own term and coming up with your own, you know, civic pride consulting firm it, that, you know, that seems to do that. Yeah, I, I think I'm the only one out here. In that, I, um, in that space, but, uh, it does. I mean, it, it, so I, I figured out in this work that, you know, there's a lot of communities that we were trying to help. I was a main street director and then I ran the Ohio main street program for years and, you know, the communities that needed to help the most, we couldn't seem to help. And, you know, you go back every year and, and you see the same sort of problems and it became really frustrating because it's like, oh, I, I told you guys the right, you know, I told you the right thing. Why aren't you listening? And at some point. Uh, if nobody's buying your product, you can't keep blaming the the customer for not for not you know wanting your product. Like you got to rethink what you're selling, and and that's what I had to do. It's like, look, if they're not taking advantage, or if they're not listening to all this great advice I'm you know bestowing upon them, maybe it's the advice that's the problem. And, and what I figured out through that was a lot of these communities were were really dysfunctional. Like they were dealing with with rampant dysfunction, and and that's a different set of circumstances. Like they these sort of technological or these these you know, uh, technical solutions that we are providing them, uh, weren't really, weren't really what they needed. They were dealing with something a little more, uh, basic, a little more, you know, the human element was getting in the way. These sort of dysfunctions of, of a community that doesn't really get along was, was sort of the impediment that they had to deal with first before maybe they could, before they could run with all these other brilliant ideas. Sure. Sure. And that, and that kind of fits in, I guess, with the title of your new book, which is 
your city is sick, how we can improve the economic, social, mental, and physical health of millions by treating our cities like people. Yeah, so a couple things there, uh, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Uh, pretty exciting for me. Um, that that what I've realized through this work and through uh, I'm obviously working with and, and having the chance to talk with so many amazing people is that our health is so tied to uh, our surroundings, and it's this kind of ubiquitous thing that we overlook. I think because it is so ubiquitous, it is all encompassing, and it, it's always affecting our decision making. It's always affecting uh are, are consciously and unconsciously like our surroundings our habitat this this built environment is constantly changing uh who we are how we think how we feel how we behave yet that we don't pay it much attention and so you know if your city is sick if that built environment isn't uh operating in a in a manner that makes people healthy like, yeah a sick city is going to have sick residents an apathetic city is going to have apathetic residents uh if you have to drive to everything you're going to be less physically healthy if your surroundings are decaying you're you know it, that affects you mentally it, it can be very depressing it can be lonely you know uh, uh, places can be isolating and all these things really stem back to like a, a great built environment is going to create health residents uh, it's going to give people you know social health provide them with social health with physical health with mental health uh financial health all those things are, are tied to our places and yet we we tend to look past it. We tend not to think about it. And, and very little resources are dedicated to that. And then simultaneously, that next step is cities behave like people. They really do. That is something I, I've picked up on, that the characteristics of a community have no choice but to be the characteristics of, of the people that call it home. And so, you know, a lot of the solutions that I've found that are useful are, are just thinking about how, how we deal with people, how people get healthier, how people behave. You know, of course, like it's, it's, it seems sort of obvious once I figured it out, but it's like, oh, right. Like the, there's not this vast expertise that some, you know, professional holds somewhere that, that we don't all have access to. Like if you've, if you're living the human experience, which most, most of you are, uh, um, you really pretty much understand, uh, so many of these things. Like if a place brings you joy, it probably brings everybody joy. If a place that you find is attractive and that you gravitate towards and maybe want to sit and, and eat or hang out or read that's probably pretty common to everybody else. Our brains are, are wired pretty much the same. So I think there's a, a lot that can be a lot of, of uh, we can save a lot of time and money by, by just starting to understand that people really are the experts of their own place and if places that you, you know, are attracted to. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea that it's working and that it's a good idea. So getting back to those dysfunctional uh, communities that you were dealing with at the, you know, when we were talking at the beginning, do dysfunctional places create dysfunctional communities and and leadership and all of that? It, do those go hand in hand in the same way? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when I, I with all these communities, like I think it's important to say that they there was a series of circumstances that that you know that occurred that most communities went through. You know, it's like well, the economy changed, the big employer maybe went away. We were these communities then were after the, you know, the big employer came to town and everybody sort of traded in their, their old world skills for, Hey, I just, you know, it's a, it's an easy paycheck here. That's great. I mean, and, and rightly so, but, uh, when those big employers went away, like those, those skills are gone, you know, maybe the, somebody's ability to be a, a baker, a, a con, you know, a, a carpenter, a butcher, whatever it was, a, a farrier, like all these, these really cool skills that we used to have went away and then these communities didn't know how to repair or, or rebuild and come back from 
a changing economy. And so that created a, a big deficit combined with, you know, this really come this, this sprawl convenience economy, this, you know, very suburban economy, which what happened then is like when we kind of, our love affair with the car, we, we, we build a lot of sprawl. We build a lot of buildings that are unlovable while simultaneously wanting, watching the really special buildings, the heart of the community, the downtown, they, they had to watch it decay. They had to watch it fall apart. And, and, you know, you take anybody, take something beautiful and, and have to watch it decay and fall apart for over the course of years, like that's depressing, that's demoralizing. So tens of thousands of communities all kind of experienced this collective trauma of the stuff that mattered went away. Everything new was, was kind of inferior, was hard to love, was hard to grow attached to. And so they kind of grew depressed and apathetic. Like the most rational response to what these communities went through is to be, to grow apathetic, to think everything's bad. Why care? Tomorrow will be worse than today. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty rational response. And so I always think it's important to say like that it's, it's, it's okay for a community to admit, admit it's apathetic. It's, that's fine. You're not the only one. Uh, it's a pretty, everybody's gone through it. So, so then what happens is like it, that sort of void or vacuum of, of passionate people, of strong leadership or, or this, you know, can do optimism is filled with negativity. You know, it gets filled with, with it, yeah, in that vacuum, I think it just gets filled with a lot of negativity. There becomes a lot of infighting. People get really territorial. It just leads to a lot of unfortunate outcomes where, where there's, you know, really it stems from a lack of trust too. Um, through this sort of collective trauma, there's a, this generational lack of trust and and belief and all these sort of bad things happen that again you know it's it it's happening to every individual there so it's happening to the community as a whole and that's really where i come back to like the, that's a very emotional problem that's a very human problem that's that's a people problem and technical solutions don't always work so what is the solution if it's not you know a technical if a, if a technical solution is not the not it what what do you have to do so, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that, that a lot of the solutions that we try to provide communities are, are all very external. It's like, well, if we, if we just bring in some jobs, it'll get better. If we just bring in some outside investment, it'll get better. If we just bring in some tourists, it'll get better. And that's not how people work. Like, I, if you or I or whatever, if we're depressed, if we're down in the dumps, if we're apathetic and have all these issues, it's really hard to fix that externally. You know, somebody can give you some money or something and, you know, like somebody can gift you something, but that doesn't really fix that because it, it, it usually comes down to, you know, self-esteem and, and belief and, and how we talk about ourselves and how we think about ourselves. And, you know, so to improve it, it has to be from within to get better, to make, again, lessons from individuals, lessons from our own lives, we could apply to communities. But, you know, if I'm trying to lift myself up, that's something I have to do on my own. Nobody can bestow that upon me. So. I have to change. I have to be willing to, you know, get up and go for a run, or I have to be willing to, to learn a new skill. I have to be willing to put that effort in, you know, to self-improvement. And so I, I really carry that lesson out to those communities. It's like, look, I, I can guide you. I can give you advice. I can, you know, tell you everything that you need to know uh, about self-improvement and building pride. But at the end of the day, only you can do it. Only you can fix it. And until you really embrace that, you're not going to get better. And, and sort of, and the second part of that is what I realized through this work is that the, you know, apathy is what was plaguing so many of these towns. Uh, that's what they were really dealing with, which again, is a very different problem from, 
know, it doesn't matter what caused it. Yeah, as, as uh, I think Obama said, you can't drive out of the ditch the same way you drove into it. Like certain set of right. circumstances caused this problem, but we keep trying to fix it by using the same, you know, it's like, well, if we just undo the set of circumstances, like, no, 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 that's not it. It doesn't matter why I got depressed. You know, I can't just undo that. Well, oh, I lost my wife or my job. I'm, you know, I'm bummed out. Well, if I just get that back and it's like, well, no, 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 there's something that different that has to happen. I have to restore that sense of self-belief. I have to restore my, you know, my can-do attitude, my optimism. I have to do it. So, so what I realized through that is like the antithesis of apathy is pride. You know, apathy is not caring at all. Uh, pride is caring very much. And so when we're proud sure. of something, we take care of it. We tend to it. We show it off. You know, it, it's, it's really, and it really like things that we're proud of have an effect on our own self-image. Like the more stuff in our lives that we're proud of, that we're taking care of, the better off we all are. So, so that's, that's kind of the, the, what I go back to these communities with, like make a decision through the lens of pride. Is this thing going to make people feel proud? Is it going to make them feel better? Is it going to make the community stronger? And when you do that over and over and over and over again, uh, that's, that's when the magic starts to happen. Okay. So do you have an example that, you know, from a community wherein they did something that gave them pride that had this effect on them? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and I want to interject to like another, uh, another thing I think it's really important though to mention in that is just like the individual, there's no short, you know, there's no shortcuts. Like, Anybody that's telling you you can get in shape overnight is lying. Anybody that can tell you, you know, oh, learn, learn guitar in a weekend, like that's a lie. And that sort of thinking gets perpetuated on communities a lot. Just do this thing, you know, just this plan will fix it or this parking garage will fix it or whatever. And like, well, that's impossible. You know, that's not how we work. It, it, we, we can't get better. You know, they, we, can, we can improve in an instant. But long-term meaningful change takes, takes decades. You know, it takes years to, to, um, to do most anything worth accomplishing. And, and so community is very much the same. It's, it's going to have to be a lot of small incremental decisions that build up over time to create meaningful change. Um, you, but one of my favorite examples of a community kind of putting this practice, uh, thinking into practice was, was Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And so a couple of years ago, I was working in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, I was down there, um, you know, to do, uh, uh, to give a speech, but also spend a day meeting with all these different organizations and entities. And, and one of the meetings was all around real estate. So it was building owners, developers, you know, bankers, uh, city officials. And because they, you know, like most towns, there was some blight, there was some vacancy, they were dealing with some, uh, some problem properties. And they were doing this thing. The municipality was doing this thing that, that almost every community does, which is let's get rid of, you know, let's reduce red tape so that the investment will flow in. You know, and I, I get the idea behind it. You know, the thinking is, oh, bureaucracy is scaring people away. Too much red tape, scaring people away. And like, right, I understand. But there's this, this alternative way of looking at it is that those are standards and standards are, are, are guardrails, you know, and when you raise standards, you get better when you lower standards, you get worse. It's pretty simple. And so there's this idea that, right, well, let's lower standards, reduce regulation, investment will pour in, but the opposite happens. It's always the opposite because you, you, you're in essence, um, sort of advocating for, for bad behavior, you know, don't take care of your properties. We'll let you build anything. You're attracting those that, that are, you know, attracted to, to lower standards instead of saying, let's, let's hold ourselves to a higher standard, you know, let's ask more. 
these properties should be of this condition. We want them to look like this. And so, so we had this talk and it's like, look, you're, you're kind of getting it wrong in this term. Like getting the balance right is really important. You need regulations, you need standards that's going to attract. And it's, it's proven. I mean, those neighborhoods and districts with the highest uh, design standards in the country also have the highest property value. So, so we go through this talk and, and the bank president, like the light goes on and he turns to the man and he's like, I'm not going to finance any more deals until we start enforcing our building codes. And it's like, whoa, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. And the mayor's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I've, I've thought that's important, but I'm getting pressure not to. And nobody, you know, I've like, it's great to get the direction that people want that. So, so that was a really cool moment. And then I get a, a email about six months later from somebody, a, a gentleman that I was worked with down there that was on the planning board. And he explained that a developer proposed like a $40 million project in the downtown. And they're super excited at first. And it's like, yeah, yeah, green light, green light. And then they're like, wait, wait, wait. Like, let's think about standards. Let's think about what we want. Let's, you know, let's hold ourselves to a higher standard. And so they talked through it and they went back to the developer and say, look, like, love this project, but it's missing some things. But some things, this isn't good enough for us. Uh, we need some changes. And the developer came back and said, yeah, like, absolutely. I'll make those changes. So it was just such a great story of a community saying like, we're, we deserve better. You know, and when we tell ourselves we deserve better, we tend to raise our standards. We tend to ask more. We tend to get treated better and we simultaneously feel better about ourselves. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Wow. So how did you get into this? How did, you know, you mentioned that you worked as a downtown manager, Main Street manager, but, you know, why, why downtowns? Why Main Street? How did, where did, was this always your aspiration? Where did this desire it come from? It wasn't, I, you know, I, I, in hindsight, I think a lot of it had to do with growing up in a struggling Rust Belt community. You know, we, um, you know, my family, we, we lived in, uh, the same community in Ohio for generations. I mean, they're, you know, dating back a, a long, long time. My, my family, I always called this town home, um, by Ohio. And, and, and by the time we graduated, my parents were like, yeah, you, you probably need to leave. I mean, it was, it wasn't even a conversation. It was like, of course you're, you're moving on. And, sure. you know, and I, I, like, I don't think that all of a sudden we got, my family got so fancy that, that we couldn't be in this town anymore. The community changed as, as they all did, you know, this, this, decision to invest more in, in sprawl really changed the nature of the community and changed how it felt, how it looked, um, the type of opportunities that were available. And so I didn't realize it when I, you know, went to school for, for undergrad for business, but later got into urban planning, kind of got fascinated with urban planning and went and got my master's down at uh, VCU. And I, I do think that, that this sort of passion around revitalization does stem back to growing up in a town that you're the type of place when I was growing up, like, we don't go downtown, you know, and it, it just, it right. didn't have this sense of community. It didn't, I don't think it made people feel proud at the time and so things are certainly getting better, but, but because of how this community changed, you know, my, my grandparents, their um, legacies were lost. You know, they had had businesses, they had had something to, that they wanted to pass down. Those were wiped out. You know, it, it tore my family apart in a sense too, because like now nobody lives next to one another. We all had to spread out and find our own way. So. So I guess I really experienced firsthand how a community that's that's struggling, how a community that isn't healthy personally affects everyone in it. And, and that's become a real passion of mine. Like nobody should have to tell their kids, hey, when you turn 18, you need to leave. Like that's 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 terrible. And our communities should should do much right. better. Oh, 
I had that's a, yeah, right. That really hits home. I mean, I have a couple, I have three kids that are about that age and yeah, I'd never thought about that, but that would be what you would say in a rust belt city with the, you know, lack of pride declining and just all of that. That's, that's horrific. Right. I mean, it's like, right. You, you should be able to live in a place not only that has opportunity, but that brings you joy, that makes you happy, that, that gives you a quality right. life. And, you know, most towns I work, like so many communities really fail at doing that. Um, and I, I'm not placing the blame on them. I think that they got caught up in this idea that, you know, oh, th this, these, this new way of thinking about cities, this sort of sprawling, convenient city is going to be our savior and it's failed. And, and they're trying to recover from that. But I, I think the recovery is more complicated or simultaneously. I shouldn't say more complicated, but they're struggling to, to figure out how to come back from those decisions. Well, this has been interesting and, and I hadn't, I hadn't realized this, but I mean, you've really sort of opened my eyes to this idea that it really is about the, uh, a pride in the place. And that's not something that just comes easily. That's you can't just have one project. You can't bring in something from the outside and have that happen. You, somebody can't tell you that that's the case and, you know, turn on a light bulb for you. It really is something that you have to come to believe about yourself. And it's going to take a number of steps that probably individually don't feel like anything or don't feel like they're really moving the ball forward. But over time, those little tiny steps, those little wins gives you something that you built up that you can be proud of. Right, right. You you have to earn it. I mean, that's it, that's the simple right. hard truth is you have to earn it. And and I think we've gotten in the habit of sort of seeking this external validation. You know, it, it's like, you know, somebody on, on social media, it's like, well, do I get the likes? Okay, then, then I'm okay. Then I'm, then I'm valued and then I, I'm worthy. And it's like, no, that we all know that that's hollow. We all know that that's not that's real. And, and it's the same. It's like, well, if we can just get a, if we can just land a high-end steakhouse, you know, if, if Ruth's Chris shows up here, then we've made it, you know, or, or right. whatever thing it is, but that's, that's empty. That's hollow. Nobody from outside can, can fix what's wrong. It has to be internal. It has to come from, from that hard work, from that drive. And it's, and right, like it's, it ducks because like, oh, getting in shape, you know, everybody, like a good example, everybody knows how to get in shape. Not many people want to do it because it's hard. You know, that's right, going to take right. work every single day. And one day of it doesn't mean anything like, yeah, it's the right step, but you're not going to see progress. You're not going to feel the difference in one day, but in a year you will. And so I think that that's, it's just not the hard truth is no fun. It's a lot of hard work. Uh, and I think that that's why no one wants to buy it. And it's like, well, yeah, true community improvement. It's going to, it's going to be a million decisions. It's going to be a lot of little things that add up, but but as we know from our own lives, like that's, that's what makes us who we are. That's what makes us proud. That's what gives us self-worth and self-confidence and self-esteem is all those little decisions that are adding up to something bigger. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, this has been great. I have learned a lot. If anybody wants to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to get in contact, learn more? Uh, where can they get your book? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Uh, everything can be found on my website, uh, revitalizerdie.com. And, you know, you can find a link to buy the book there. Uh, I write there. I do, you know, about a blog a week. So you can find all those there on, on community and, and all this sort of thinking. Um, you can find my email there and any links to social. So yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good repository. If you have any interest in, in, um, any of this work, yeah, please, please check it out and feel free to get in touch. Sounds good.
Well, Jeff, thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen today. Yeah, absolutely, Dane. Appreciate your having me. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 